Well, good morning, Concord. I know you guys thought you were going to get rid of me, but I'm still here. It's kind of scary. We're actually in Brazil having a great time, but I just had something that I wanted to share with each one of you this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, 2 Samuel chapter 12 is really what we're going to pay our attention to this morning. So 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now most of you know over the past couple of weeks we've been talking specifically about authentic repentance. And we saw in the life of a rich young ruler how not to experience authentic repentance. And then we saw in the life of Zacchaeus last week what authentic repentance actually looks like. So what is it? Well, just by way of reminder, you'll remember that authentic repentance first begins with a change of mind. That is, we change our mind about who God is and we change our mind about our own sin. So we see God is overwhelmingly holy and we see our sin as exceedingly sinful. And then there's a shift in our focus that takes place. We begin no longer to focus on our selfishness, but we focus on Jesus Christ as Lord. And then authentic repentance moves from our mind to our emotion or even to our heart where we are grieved over our own sin. And then we begin to experience a radical shift in our value system. See, before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we valued uh, those things that are not of God. But as soon as we were transformed by the power of His grace, we now begin to value the Lord Jesus Christ above all things. So repentance is a change of mind, it's a change of your emotion, but it's also a change of the will, or we could even say a change of our feet. We have a determination now, a shift in our determination to make sure we are avoiding that which breaks the heart of God. And we are seeking full force to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So authentic repentance is a change of the mind, a change of the heart, as well as a change of the feet. And authentic repentance is really where it all begins. See, when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you repent, which, by the way, remember, faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. You leave the kingdom of darkness and enter into the kingdom of light. You leave a life outside of Jesus and you enter into a life with Jesus. So authentic repentance is where you become a new creation. And that's what the Bible teaches. It actually says that you become a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. So authentic repentance. Now, as I was uh, thinking about this in my own personal devotion, God really began to deal with me about the idea and concept of repentance in the life of a follower of Jesus. Does a person who is inside the kingdom, inside Christ... Are those individuals required to actually experience repentance? In other words, is repentance a one-time act or is it an ongoing process in the life of a disciple? What we're going to see this morning is that without a doubt, you and I as followers of Jesus are called to live a lifestyle of repentance. In fact, here's a huge statement this morning, and this is kind of the key statement for the entire message. It's going to unlock the door for us, so pay very close attention. Your initial repentance brings you into a relationship with Jesus. Your ongoing repentance maintains your fellowship with Jesus. So let me say that again. Listen closely. Your initial repentance brings you into a relationship with Jesus. Your ongoing repent or repentance brings you into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It maintains your fellowship. 
So let me see if I can illustrate that. You know, Chris and I have been married for about 13 years, and it's been an awesome 13 years, right? Now, I knew my life changed the moment I said I do. I went from being a single person to actually now being in a marriage covenant. Now, although Chris and I are married, there are times when I do things that aren't all that pleasing to her. She does things that are not all that pleasing to me. Matter of fact, that's why I'm in Brazil, because of something I've done. Just kidding. But whenever this happens, you know how it is in a relationship, there is this weird sense, this feeling that something is off. That happens in your marriage relationship, it happens in mine as well. And when that does occur, it is incumbent upon us to speak to one another and to find out what we have done to offend and ask for forgiveness so that fellowship can be brought back. It's the exact same with our relationship with Jesus Christ. The moment that I came to know Jesus personally was more or less the day that I said, I do. I came into a relationship with him. But there are times in my life when I allowed sin to take over and I submitted to sin as opposed to submitting to the Lord. And then in that moment, I began to experience a break in my fellowship with the Lord. And so I must make absolute certain that I am continually repenting of sin and not allowing sin to hinder my relationship. With him. And you know, the New Testament uh, repeatedly calls believers to repentance. Listen to just a few of these passages. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Or how about 1 John 1 and 9, where the Bible says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then one awesome text in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, is where the Lord Jesus speaks directly to the church and says, Remember from where you have fallen. And listen, repent and come back and do the deeds that you did at first. So if you thought that this repentance thing that we've been talking about over the past two weeks was simply for those who need to come into the family of God, don't be mistaken. This idea of ongoing repentance is absolutely essential in the life of a believer. Now, like I said, I've been studying First and Second Samuel in my own personal devotion. And that's kind of why I have left uh, the book of Luke for just a moment. Because the Lord just so showed me some great truths out of this text that I wanted to share with you this morning. Uh, first of all, First Samuel and Second Samuel deal specifically with the life of David. You read about him more than anybody else in those two particular books. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. It's written for us in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14. And by the way, wouldn't you like it if there were a verse in the Bible about you and it actually said, he or she has a heart for the Lord? Well, that was the verse. David had it. David was the individual who wrote a ton of the book of Psalms. And as you read through them, you see an individual person who is in great fellowship with the Lord. And he is giving worship to him. He is walking with him. He is being rescued by him. He's experiencing his provision. He's experiencing his protection. So many of the Psalms really talk about the heart of David in worship as an ongoing lifestyle throughout that particular book. It is awesome. But what is amazing is that something happened in the life of David. This David that we read about uh, was indeed that man who loved the Lord. And yet something took place that actually caused him to break fellowship with the Lord. 
It's rather staggering. And as I read this in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, man, I began to realize that this was a strong message to me and also, I believe, a strong message to our church body. So there are three applications that I want to give you this morning concerning the life of David when he broke fellowship with the Lord and how you and I both need to make sure if we break fellowship with the Lord, how to come back into a restored fellowship. So here goes point number one. You can take a look in your listening guide and follow along, but the point is very simple. I can't, and I'm going to personalize all of these because these were for me. I can't coast in my walk with Jesus for a single day. I cannot coast in my walk with Jesus for a single day. Listen, that is exactly what David did. He began to coast in his fellowship with the Lord. In fact, as we look at David's life, we find that David became an extremely lazy king. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1, the Bible says it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Check this out. But David stayed at Jerusalem. See, this was the time when all the kings went out to battle. But David became lazy. He stayed at home and he did not go out and fight the enemies. And we find David not only was a lazy king, but also David was led by his lust. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 2, the scripture says, When evening came, David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was beautiful. And you can imagine this. David now sees this woman whose name is Bathsheba and he is immediately driven by his lust. He has to have her. In fact, he invites her over to his home, has her brought to him so that he can fulfill his own lustful desires. He went from being a lazy king. He went from being a king who was driven by his lust to now being a king who is involved in loathsome activity. As a matter of fact, as you look at David's life, he uh, obviously laid with Bathsheba. Bathsheba became pregnant, and he immediately began to figure out a way to try to cover up his sin. So he came up with a game plan, found out that Bathsheba's husband was Uriah, and Uriah was out fighting, and so he had Uriah sent home. And then what his plan was is that Uriah would go and sleep with his wife, and then the pregnancy would be considered his instead of David's. The problem is Uriah would not go and be with his wife. And the reason that he would not do that is because he did not want to have the joy of companionship while his other uh, friends and brothers were out fighting the battle. David went to plan B and said, okay, here's what I'm going to do now. Let's get him drunk and send him home. And they did so, and yet he still would not go in with his wife. And so finally David went to plan C. And what he did is he created a letter that Uriah would take back to the troops. And on that letter it read that they were to place Uriah at the front lines of battle. And when he was at the front lines of battle and the army was coming to destroy them, they were to all retrieve so that Uriah would be put to death. That's exactly what happened. Think about David for a minute. This man who had a heart for God became lazy, became lustful, and then began to commit acts I'm absolutely certain he would have never dreamed of doing in his entire life. And we find that this 
life that he began to live as he broke fellowship with the Lord became a calloused life. A life so callous that he literally would not even pay attention to the word of the living Lord. Listen, that may very well be where you are this morning. You came to church and and we're glad that you're here. But you are, as a follower of Jesus, outside of genuine fellowship with the Lord. And maybe even you've been outside so long that there's this callousness over your heart. It, it, listen, it, it happens gradually. It's not an overnight thing. It's a, uh, as the song says, it is a slow fade that does occur. And so there's a time when you are on fire for the Lord. And all of a sudden, then you become lazy. And like David, you stop fighting. You stop fighting sin. You stop fighting the enemies of darkness. You stop fighting for your relationship with the Lord. Become lazy, and before you know it, you're driven by your own lust. And your lust drives you to commit sins that you never dreamed that you would commit. But this lust causes you in this moment to begin to have attitudes that do not reflect the reputation of Jesus Christ. And not only this, this bowing to sin occurs in your life to a point where you begin to do what sin tells you to do. It's like you wake up in the morning and sin commands you and you obey. And before you know it, man, you're walking so far outside of the will of God that not only is your attitude literally attacked, but you find at the same time that also your actions are attacked. You're doing things you never thought you would do. You're saying things that you never thought that you would say. Now, I read a sermon on one occasion that got my attention, to say the least. It spoke about how uh, you and I, you know, you think about this, right? You maybe have been in the bed and in the middle of the night you woke up out of nowhere and as soon as you opened up your eyes it was like pitch black you couldn't see a thing in there and maybe you had to get out of the bed to go to the restroom or go get a snack or something and so you you just jumped up out of the bed even though you were unable to see you started going and then you stubbed your toe you've done this before i know i have But if you think about it, as you're laying there in the bed, when you open up your eyes, if you keep your eyes open long enough, eventually your eyes will get used to the darkness. That's what happens when we break fellowship with the Lord. Immediately there's this blinding darkness. It's like we can't see anything. We don't know which way to go, how to act, how to respond. But sin is calling the shots. And if we stay in that state, we start getting used to it. And this sin that would normally grieve us as believers, has now become something we just try to cover up. This sin that normally would make us spiritually gag is something in our life now that has become a pet, a pet sin, something that we hold close. And listen, your sin may not be known by anybody but you. But it's amazing how sin begins to come in and we quickly bow. And then our hearts become callous to the Word of God. Listen, there was a time in your life when you used to be on fire for the Lord and you would open up the scripture and God would speak to you and it's like his word was just coming directly to your heart. And there was a time when you listened to teaching and you paid attention to preaching and you were like, give me some more. I want to hear more of what God has to say. And yet now, because that fellowship has been broken and because you've become calloused and used to the dark. It's like when you open up the Bible, you're not getting anything out of it. It's not penetrating the hardness of your heart. 
And when you listen to teaching or you listen to preaching, it's like, when is this going to be over with? When is this going to be finished? Because you've got other things you've got to do. Man, it's the same thing that happened in David's life. In fact, we see that so clearly as we look at the Scripture here. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, God sent a prophet named Nathan to basically get in the face of David and let him know what was going on. So look with me at that, if you will. Chapter 12 of 2 Samuel and verse 1. Scripture says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. And it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, listen to this, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Now what is happening here is Nathan is actually telling a story to get a response from David. Listen to David's response in verse 5. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves, look at this, to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. You see David here? This word is for him. But his heart is so hard that he pays no attention to what God's trying to say to him. In fact, he becomes so angry at this other guy in this particular story. He's like, that guy needs to be put to death. Let him pay fourfold. It's amazing what a calloused heart does. A callous heart will disregard the word of the Lord. Automatically assume that every single thing that is being preached, every single thing that's being taught is actually for someone else. In fact, you may be here this morning saying the same thing. You hear me preaching and you're like, man, I sure hope she hears it. I sure hope he hears it. I wish they were here. And all the while you're thinking, man, I wish somebody else would pay attention. Listen, that was David's heart as well. So calloused. And notice what the Bible says in verse 7. And this is when it would have undoubtedly gotten real in the life of David. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. So you've got to see this. Nathan just told a story, and then David came angry at the story, and then Nathan said, you're the man. All right? It's you're the person that I'm talking to. And what a strong statement that is. Because it was David, right? David was the one who stole the ewe lamb, Bathsheba. David was the one who disregarded Uriah and took his wife to himself. All right? It was him. It's amazing. When you look at the life of David, I'm still shocked by it even now as I am preaching on it. How this man who had such a heart for the Lord, so passionately in love with him, 
just began to coast a little bit. Coast one day, two days, three days. Became lazy, lustful, committing sin. Listen, you and I cannot coast for a single day in our relationship and fellowship with the Lord. We just can't do it. It's absolutely outside of what we are called to do. So how about it? You be honest for a minute, all right? Looking in the mirror, and these are questions that I wrote down in my own personal journal for me. Now here's a question. Are you striving toward Christ's likeness with fervor, or are you just coasting? Are you led by the Holy Spirit in your life, or are you just coasting? Are you obeying God's Word in your life? Or are you just coasting? We can't do it. And if you're here this morning, man, I'm praying by God's grace, all right? And somehow or another, this message would somehow pierce through the callousness and just get your attention and say, man, you are coasting. Stop it can't do that which leads me to the second application when i choose to willfully sin i am not counting the cost of my sin at all when i choose to willfully sin i am not counting the cost of that sin at all and that was david in fact i jotted these notes down in my own journal and man these are sobering concepts the lord's teaching me but listen closely Choosing to willfully sin ignores the goodness of God in my life. Choosing to willfully sin ignores the goodness of God in my life. The Lord spoke to David through Nathan again. Look at verse 7 again. He's like, you're the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. You know what he's doing here? He's elevating the goodness of God. He's like, I'm the one who created all of this for you. I am the one who blessed you. Verse 8, I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. I gave you all that. I, I expressed goodness toward you. And if I had given too little, I would have added to you many more things just like these. Think about David, man. When he chose to sin, he did not for a single moment consider the goodness of God. He didn't sit back and take inventory of God's blessing and say, how can I commit this act of sin in light of all that God's done for me? But you and I do this. When we choose to willfully sin, it's almost like we take the goodness of God and just throw it off of the table. We are so driven by our own carnal, fleshly desires. We're like, I've got to have that temptation met right now. So often we just forget about God's blessing, how He has blessed us uh, through His provision, how He's blessed us through His protection, how He's blessed us with our families. I mean, you know, think about the blessing uh, that I have. I mean, I have a wonderful wife, four wonderful children, but if I choose to willfully sin, it's almost like I am throwing everything to the side and say, no matter what, I'm going after this sin. And so often we choose that path. What a fearful thing it is 
Now here's a second thought just concerning willful sin. Choosing to willfully sin invites grave consequences into our lives. Choosing to willfully sin invites grave consequences into our lives. That was David. Matter of fact, look at verse 10 of 2 Samuel 12. The Bible says, Therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. He's talking to David. Why, why, Lord? Because you have despised me. And you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am going to raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it. Check it out. Secretly. But I will do this thing before all of Israel and under the sun. Now when I read this, I'm like, Lord, that is a strong step to take. Why would you allow evil to be raised up against this household? Lord, can you do this? I don't even know if I like that concept. The reality is, oftentimes we look at passages of Scripture like that and we're like, my God wouldn't do that. Well, listen, your God's not the God of the Bible then. This is the Lord. And here, David commits sin with no regard to what's going to happen. With no understanding of the consequences that will occur in his life. The breakdown of a relationship with the Lord and fellowship with Him. Breaking that fellowship leads to a breakdown in fellowship with even those who are closest to us. How many people can you think of, man? who have committed sin and it's destroyed their marriage? How many can you think of who have committed sin and it destroyed their family? You'd even go to a church, man, and people inside of a church can commit sin and it destroy an entire church, just split the whole thing down the middle, all because of sin. But nobody's sitting back saying, okay, if I do this, what kind of consequences are going to come? And you may be here this morning, you've not even thought about the consequences of your sin. Or you may be experiencing some of those consequences. Listen, man. Um, wake up. All right? Open your eyes. Sir, open your eyes to what you are about to do. Right? You're about to throw it all away. Disregarding the goodness of God. And it's almost like your sin, your sin is inviting consequences to come over to your house. Come on over. Make yourself at home. Why would you do such a thing? That which we do in secret that we think nobody knows about. Lord, help us. Help us. Choosing to willfully sin invites grave consequences into our life. I also jotted this down. Choosing to willfully sin can damage the name of Jesus. Choosing to willfully sin can damage the name of Jesus. Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse 14, the Bible says, Because by this deed you have given occasion, listen to this, to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. 
David, again, I'm still trying to figure this out in my brain. This is the man who has a heart for God. And yet his activity now is actually disregarding the reputation of the one he claims to love. The king, David, represented God to the people. But this sin caused him literally to bring about a change in the enemies who surrounded him. He was giving them an opportunity to blaspheme the name of the one true God. Listen, you and I who are disciples of Jesus Christ, and you need to listen closely. Pay attention. We bear the name of Jesus Christ in our life. We, listen, represent the person of Christ on the earth. And when we choose to willfully sin, what are we doing? We are literally disregarding His reputation, disregarding His name, considering it to be of no value. We move forward in our sin. And we give occasion for those who are outside of the faith, those who do not know the Lord, an opportunity to look in and blaspheme the name of our Savior. It's a strong concept. Think about how many people I have sought to share the gospel with and oftentimes hear the statement from that. I'm not going down to that church. I know so-and-so who goes down there. I know what they've done. I know how they've acted. You know what they're doing? They are blaspheming the name of Christ because the ones who represent Christ have chosen to willfully sin. May we not be a fellowship like that. May you, if you're here this morning and you are there, man, you need repentance more than you need anything else right now. Repentance. And this is one of the sobering parts of my own personal devotion. Just again, I love reading and jotting things down and then writing some questions to myself, some reflection questions. Let me just give you some of these. How often do I willfully choose to disobey God without any regard to His goodness? Without any thought to the consequences that can occur? Without any remote thought to the name and the reputation of the one that I call Lord? Let me ask you, disciple of Jesus, here this morning, you who are following Jesus Christ, listen, listen, is there an area in your life of sin that you are holding on to, that you've not repented of, that you are keeping? Listen, you are disregarding God's goodness. You're inviting consequences, and you're giving an opportunity for people to blaspheme the name of your Savior. Which leads me to the third application. I must, alright, I must repent of any known sin in my life for the sake of my fellowship with Jesus. I must repent of any known sin in my life for the sake of my fellowship with the Lord. Believe it or not, that's what David did. David finally had the truth pierce his calloused heart and it was almost as if God now were booming in his ear. And he was broken 
The Bible says in verse 13, he just says, I have sinned against the Lord. Sinned against the Lord. That's an awesome statement. All right. Matter of fact, you read the book of Psalm, Psalm 51, you find uh, where David actually uh, penned his prayer to God after this confrontation with Nathan. And in that prayer, just listen to a few words that, that David cried out to the Lord. He's like, be gracious to me, O God. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. David turns the Hebrew dictionary upside down to describe what he is desiring for the Lord to do. He's like, purify me, wash me, hide your face from my sins, blot out all my iniquities, make me to hear joy again. Some of you need that this morning. Make me to hear joy again. Restore me, sustain me, deliver me. And then the verse that I love is Psalm 51 and verse 10 where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And the reason I love that verse is because the word create, he actually borrowed from Genesis chapter 1 where the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 1 we realize that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. So it's as if David is looking up to the Lord in repentance saying, Lord, there is nothing here for you to work with. Create in me a clean heart. Speak it into existence. Some of us this morning need to pray a prayer like that. It's repentance is what it is. And for no other way to say it than this, but if I can just kind of point out here for a moment, listen, look, look, this message is not for everybody sitting around you, alright? You are the man. You are the woman. You are the teenager. This message of repentance is for you. Repent of your sin. Whenever you experience Authentic repentance as a believer. Again, there's a change of mind about your sin. You realize your sin is actually hindering your fellowship with God. And it brings agony to your mind. Mentally, there has to be a shift in loyalty once again. Instead of being loyal to your sin, you are loyal to the Lord Jesus and submitting to Him. And there's a change as well in your heart where you were callous before God speaks a new life into you. He blows a fresh wind over you. He brings about a revival in your soul. This is the change that we need. There's a change in your determination, your will. It's like you you repent of your sin and true repentance is like, I am done with it. No more of that. Laying it aside and walking with the Lord. Now, I was talking with a friend of mine recently um, who was sitting in church and listening to me preach on authentic repentance and his comment, which I thought was just spot on, all right? He says it like this. He says, man, I heard the sermon and at the end of it, I just prayed, God, grant me repentance. And then he was like, you know what he did? I said, what did he He granted repentance. It would be just like the Lord, all right? This morning... 
For Him, by His grace, to grant repentance to our church body, repentance to those who are walking in sin, and you experience a floodgate of His revival. A downpour of His grace, a downpour of His compassion and loving kindness, and He just lays it out there for you. And we so need that. You need that. I need that. And we call out to the Lord in repentance. You know, one of the strongest preachers to ever walk the face of the earth was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Man, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to sit down and be like, preach to me. I want to hear some preaching. But listen to what he said, and I actually got this from a deacon this past week. Charles Spurgeon writes, Beware of light thoughts of sin. At the time of conversion, the conscience is so tender that we're afraid of the slightest sin. Young converts have a holy timidity, a godly fear lest they should offend against God. But alas, it is sadly true that even a Christian may grow by degrees so callous that the sin which once startled him does not alarm him in the least. By degrees, men get familiar with sin. The ear in which the cannon has been booming will not notice slight sounds. At first, a little sin startles us. But soon we say, is it not just a little one? And then there comes another, larger, and then another, until by degrees we begin to regard sin as but a little ill. And then follow an unholy presumption. We begin to say, we have not fallen into open sin. True, we tripped a little, but we stood upright. We may have uttered one unholy word, but as for the most of our conversation, it's been consistent. So we palliate sin. We throw a cloak over it. We call it by dainty names. Christians, beware how you think lightly of sin. Take heed lest you fall little by little. Sin, a little thing, is it not a poison? Who knows its deadliness? Sin a little thing. Sin a little thing. It girded the Redeemer's head with thorns and pierced His heart. It made Him suffer anguish, bitterness, and woe. Could you weigh the least sin in the scales of eternity, you would fly from it as from a serpent. And you would abhor the least appearance of evil. Look upon all sin as that which crucified the Savior and you will see it to be exceedingly sinful. What a powerful, powerful word. Hey church, listen, my prayer for you this morning is that it would be a morning of unhindered and undignified repentance before Almighty God. I'm praying that springs of revival would explode your heart and what you experience today will never be forgotten. That is my prayer. And now's the time, all right? Now is the time for repentance for you. Not tomorrow, uh, not next week, not next month, not when somebody else does, not when it seems more convenient, not when it seems more easy. The time is now. The time is today. All right? Quit putting this thing off and repent. All right? That's the charge. That's the invitation. And may our Lord have 
mercy upon the disciple who is walking in willful sin this morning. Won't you shed your pride and bow before God in an altar? Won't you forget about your ego and bow before the Savior and offer up your sin to be crucified before Jesus Christ? And won't you shed any thoughts as to what others may say, what others may think, or what others may even do, and get upon your face, all right, in repentance before Almighty God? And that's the charge. That is the call this morning. That's the invitation. And the time is now. So you sitting in your seat, look at me. What do you need to repent of? What sin has caused disharmony and a lack of fellowship with the Lord in you? You're like, I don't know what it is, man, but I, I, I know I'm not in right fellowship with the Lord. I'm not real sure what the sin is. Look, ask God. I promise He will bring it to your mind. He wants you to come back into fellowship with Him. He wants you to experience joy once again. He is looking forward to you making a decision just to repent. So what we're going to do this morning is just have a time of repentance right here in the altar. A time where you have an opportunity to leave the place where you've been seated and come before the Lord in repentance. All right? And you just say, and it does, hey, hey, listen, don't sit out there and be like, it's just a little thing. No, no, no. It is huge. It put our Savior on the cross. All right? Don't excuse it. Don't cover it up. Confess it before the Lord. And He will restore you. And you need that. Man, I am praying for you this morning. So let's do that. Father, your heads bowed, your eyes closed as James comes. God in heaven, how desperately we are in need of you to pour out repentance in our hearts Grant us repentance that revival might spring up in our souls. And Father, even now, uh, make aware to us that which we need to repent of, that which we need to turn from. And they give courage for repentance. And Father, put your hand upon this time of invitation and minister to your people today. And God, I will trust you to work. Thank you for what you have taught me. And now drive us all to repentance. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, even now as the music is playing, I'm going to invite you to stand up out of your seat and to walk down here and bow before the Lord. Right now, hey listen, move Don't look around who else is coming. You get up. You come forward. Spend some time with the Lord. And then if you're here this morning and you need a relationship with Christ, this will be a time for you to come as well. So right now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, standing up all across the room. Stand up where you are. Right there, right there. And as James begins to sing, won't you respond if God is calling you? Don't think lightly of sin. Father, in the name of Jesus... We give you the invitation. Work mightily in our hearts 
that we might honor you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.